Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to episode number 92 of the Christ Connection Podcast. I'm glad you could join us today. My name is Kevin Senapati-Ratna and I am here to help you grow in your adventure with Jesus. We are here as a ministry, Christ Connection. You can find us at ChristConnection.cc, but we're here to help you to discover Jesus like never before and go on an adventure with Him. And so uh, we hope that these are a resource to you. Today is a little bit different than uh, some of them, uh, where it's just kind of practical. You don't have to even think about the application, but uh, this we're going to talk about uh, the idea of going after Jesus as a pastor and leader and not end up failing. Uh, we're going to talk about moral failures, uh, not a dep- from a depressing thing, but what we can do to prevent that. And you're like, well, I'm not a pastor or a leader. Well, first of all, uh, pass this along uh, to uh, your pastor. But uh, also, we're going to get into some of the stuff that you can do to make a difference in that. Uh, and just getting you a framework uh, to think about uh, why. I mean, I always say... Uh, actually, I got this from the guy who we talked to today, but uh, the idea that if you knock over the front bowling pins, you, you can knock over the whole thing. And so much damage is done in the church when uh, failures happen. And so uh, this this conversation is going to be helpful. If you are a pastor and leader, uh, pass this on to all your pastor friends and kind of make a commitment. Let's, let's go after Jesus together. Let's not go down the path that uh, leads to destruction. And uh, let's see what we can do to advance the kingdom as a result of this. I think this, again, it may not seem right off bat, like it's, you know, fits down the lane of what we normally talk about, but I think it's going to be helpful for you. Uh, So without further ado, my conversation with Daniel Henderson. My guest today is Daniel Henderson. As senior pastor for over two decades, he brought prayer-based revitalization to numerous churches. Now as the president of Strategic Renewal, Daniel has dedicated his full-time effort to helping congregations across the country and world experience renewal. Daniel is sought after for his expertise in leading corporate prayer, which I've been a part of those settings. He has authored numerous books on biblical leadership in prayer, including Glorious Finish, Keeping Your Eyes on the Prize of Eternity in Time of Pastor Pastor Failings, which is what we're going to talk about today. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be with you again, and uh, good to team up with a fellow member of the Fellowship of the Foreheads here. <laughs> Fellowship of the Foreheads. The, the two bald spiritual pyromaniacs, right? Yeah, that's right. Amen, brother. <laughs> uh, that's right. Uh, uh, that was actually where I was going to start because I always start off somewhere random place. Because uh, uh, years ago I heard you speak and you talked about being a spiritual pyromaniac, uh, yeah. and then afterwards I said, "Can I steal that?" And I put it on my business. <laughs> <laughs> and you said you were fine. And you said, "Let me put it on my business card." So sure, uh, but we need more uh, of us. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but I thought you know, it'd be fun to start with. Uh, what does that title mean to you, spiritual pyromaniac? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, when I pastored, we always use the analogy of people coming to our church to, to see what God was doing. They started coming without us announcing it. And then we realized, well, God is doing something here uh, and kind of putting their stick in the fire and going home. Right. But now uh, I because I really couldn't keep doing what I'm doing and pastor at the same time. Uh, my goal is really to light those fires in the hearts of pastors so that their churches can become uh, those uh, houses of prayer. And so we've coached 
you know, in the last five, six years, probably about 600 pastors just in leading a prayer culture and to see them now doing it in their own environment uh, really is exciting. So kind of lighting the spark, fanning the flame and uh, cheering it on. That's, that's what it means to me anyway. Yeah. That's awesome. And that is what, that is what I uh, try to do as well. Uh, Amen. Different, different. Uh, now I, I, I wanted to jump in cause I, and we'll have, uh, if there's time for other questions, but I wanted to get to this uh, newer book, uh, glorious mm-hmm. finish, uh, uh, which is uh, a great, I'll just write up front and say uh, any pastor leader should grab it. Uh, well, actually anyone uh, in the church world should grab it. And so uh, my endorsement is up front here. So Thank that you. we can, uh, but, kind. Uh, but what kind of led you to write the book in the, uh, in the first place? Yeah. So um, I, I was working on a different book at the time with Moody who published this book as well. And uh, when so many high-profile failures begin to hit the news, uh, and uh, of course there have been more since then, uh, obviously representative of other failures like that don't make the news but are just as tragic and heartbreaking. Moody knew that that two times I had been I call it the OSHA pastor. You know, you you walk into a disaster and you analyze and figure out what do we do. Uh, most guys are smart enough not to do that once, but I did it twice <laughs> in large churches where there was very high profile moral failures, you know, made the newspapers. And um, they said, you know, based on your experience, would you have a message for pastors and leaders and even members of the church in terms of understanding it and praying for their pastors that would really help us um, really address a biblical framework for keeping pastors you know, in the fight and finishing well. So that's that was the genesis of the book. And um, really, in many ways, maybe the most personal book I've ever written, just because I was a pastor for decades and understand the journey and have really seen the dynamics of what happens when there is a, uh, a big violation of trust in the church. So what, what was that like to... I mean, now you've had some time to reflect on going into two churches like that. What was it like for you as a leader coming into that environment? Yeah, well, the Greek word I think of is hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not an easy thing. You know, trust has been violated. Um, the old adage, hurting people hurt others. Uh, you, you've got to be able to absorb a lot of pain that in many ways is still directed to the last guy, but he's not around anymore. Um and honestly, Kevin, you know, you would appreciate this. That's very much where the incentive for prayer just began to overwhelm me because it was so desperate. And, uh, you know, to rebuild trust, you can't just get up with a shiny tooth in the pulp and say, trust me. And, and as we prayed together, you know, what you are on your knees is what you are. And, you know, people may not like the new guy, may not trust, you know, everything I do because they didn't trust the last guy. They may not appreciate my sermons, but they know my heart. And, um, Boy, some of the principles of renewal and prayer and transformation really came out of those days that forced us to our knees and forced us to really depend on extraordinary works of grace to reestablish trust and health in the life of the church. And again, all, all those churches are doing well, uh, those two churches particularly. But, uh, you know, I got the short straw. And, and yet, hopefully, this book is a way to redeem that journey for the good of fellow travelers who uh, want to have, as we call in the book, a glorious finish. And, uh, and kind of having some time from those first two churches as, as reflecting, and I'm sure you intersect with people from the church uh, over time. Uh, have you noticed any kind of like long-term 
effect because yeah initially there's that trust that they don't have but a long-term effect of a church on a church when they go through something like that well you know i remember is an interesting anecdote i didn't talk about this in the book but um one of the churches in California, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll and his interns would do a Northern California trip just to visit churches. And that church that I inherited was one of them. And uh, so Swindoll would come, we got to meet him. And uh, like by the third year, he let his interns do the tour and he took my wife and me out to, to breakfast. And he actually said to me, get out of here. I said, what? <laughs> he said, get out of here. And I said, what do you mean? He says, it'll be at least 10 years before this church turns around. And, you know, in his view, he said, you got too much to offer to, you know, beat your head against the wall, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so we stayed a little longer. Obviously, we did get that out of there eventually, but not until the church really had had some breakthroughs and it was clear that God was leading us on. But the point being, there, there is a time lapse of health that, that uh, the only way for it to get past some of those memories and those pains are time. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit turbo boost some things, especially when you pray, right? So uh, that was California, Minnesota, a church you would be more familiar with in your state there. Um, as soon as I got there, we actually chartered two airplanes, two times. I mean, an airplane, two times, 187 passengers to fly to the Brooklyn Tabernacle to uh, arrive that morning, hop on the subway, go meet with their staff, go to the prayer room, get back on the subway, fly home, be home by 2 a.m. So it was a, a quick trip just so they could see what the Holy Spirit could do through a praying church. And um, I think, you know, it's not rocket science, Kevin. The, the, the authoritative, spirit-empowered, systematic preaching of the Word of God coupled with extraordinary prayer expedites health. In fact, if I could share one more anecdote, the day I announced to the church of Minnesota that uh, I was going to go full time, went from being the senior pastor to a missionary, really. Um, the, the elder, the chairman of the elders got up after my announcement, which had kind of taken people's breath away because we had a good relationship. And he said, you know, we're a different church than we were five years ago. And today we are healthy. And he didn't even finish that sentence. They rose in a standing ovation. And tears filled my eyes because they felt like five years later they were healthy. Wow. And I would just say, you know, uh, prayer and the word of God, you know, it's not the fancy strategy, produces spiritual health like nothing else. And when pastors focus on that, it brings transformation. Well, and that is your uh, Acts 6 4, right? Isn't that yeah. your. That is your... <laughs> I'm going to get that tattooed on my bald spot. In fact, it means so much to me. So, <laughs> uh, And one of the things that it kind of struck me from the book, it was, uh, this This is not invented an insult in any way. It's actually a huge compliment. It, it wasn't rocket science. It wasn't like you were saying uh, to finish gloriously. Uh, you know, you, you have to do these magical hoops that, you know, no one's ever <laughs> thought of before, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it was. These are the things that you, uh, hey, every Christian should probably be. Every Christian leader should be working towards, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but in a nutshell, I mean, and I'm can I'm wanting people to grab the book because it goes much uh, uh, deeper. But uh, what? Why do you see uh, ministers failing? What? Is, what would be your kind of a synopsis of what kind of veers them off the track? Sure. Well, even today in my coaching with some pastors, we prayed about Martha and Mary and how Jesus said that Mary has chosen the good part that will not be taken away from her. 
you know, I think it's choices for all of us. It's, it's daily choices. And um, in the book, I talked about, you know, choosing your reasons why you're in ministry, choosing your rhythms on a regular daily basis, choosing what results you want and choosing what rewards you want. Right. And, and I would just say the first choice is decide what, what's the goal here? What am I called to? And that's where I started the book. And as, as you may remember, a verse that just struck me is Peter saying in 1 Peter 5.10 that the God of all grace who has called you to, and many of us who finish that sentence say, oh, build a church, you know, plant churches, uh, be a good pastor, be a good dad, a mom, a grandparent, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And if that's your calling, then it's going to change everything you do between here and there. What your goal is determines the choices you make along the way, Right. And so it really does start with the fact that we are called to, to the, the eternal glory of Christ, that, that this is just warm up. You know, I don't care if you live eight, 18 or 80 years, it's just warm up for the real deal. The real deal is on the other side of the finish line. And so if that's your goal, then it's going to determine what your choices are, choosing why you're doing what you're doing in ministry, choosing your daily rhythms, choosing the, the real results you're going for. Are they going to be superficial and applauded by men and look all, you know, spiffy and impressive, you know, another all some of that stuff, or, or is it going to be something different and more biblical and more, more vital and, and glorious, honestly. So, so the book is all about those two tracks of choices, you know, what, what, where am I headed? What do I want my finish to look like? Why am I doing this? And then what are the choices I'm going to make along the way? Do you think, because uh, it, it kind of builds these two tracks or throughout the book of uh, where you're going and uh, is it, I don't, this may sound weird, but is it uh, a, a people slowly drift down one of the paths? It's not intentional and that's how they drift down there uh, versus, because you're saying you're making a choice up front. Uh, right. Is it, is the people who don't, they just kind of have drifted down there or is it, they're also making a choice that they, it, other things are more important. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's almost like a snowball, honestly, you know, that the further you go, the bigger it gets or, you know, and in this case, the further you go along these tracks, this, this one track of what I call dishonorable discharge, you know, uh, it, it just gets harder as you go, but by the grace of God, you can always reset. And if you may remember, uh, Kevin, the book starts, with the choice every day between worship and neglect, you know, am I going to be a worshiper of God's heart, you know, or am I going to neglect my spiritual life? And I remember sitting down with one of my mentors, a guy named Peter Lord, who's in his eighties now. And he reflected on all the men he knew who fell out of ministry. And he asked me, why, why do you think the reason is? And I came up with some paltry ideas, you know, this was years ago. He said, no, it comes down to one word, neglect. And, and I think that's where it starts. You, you begin to neglect your walk with the Lord, you know, and we know it, we find it easier to serve Jesus than to seek him sometimes, you know, and if we fall into that, that rut, we're going to wind up in self-reliance and ministry becomes a profession. We begin to feel entitled. We get begin to, and this is that one track, we begin to compartmentalize our life and ministry becomes dissatisfying because it was never meant to be that. And at some point we crash and burn. But by the grace of God, along that pathway, at any point, we can come back and reset our heart to be a worshiper of Jesus and to live in humility and authenticity. And again, all the other fruits uh, that, that come from that. Hey, you, you actually led right into it because you, you said, sadly, we, 
we can find it easier to serve Jesus than to seek him. Uh, well, what is that? Where is that fine? Cause that can be a fine line at times. Uh, Cause it blends depending on uh, how, how do you keep that, that strong, that seeking side? Yeah, that's, uh, of course, you know, in one of my other books, I say the hardest thing about the Christian life is it's so daily and, and it is right. <laughs> But the beautiful thing about grace is it's also so daily. And, um, you know, I already referenced this today in our coaching with some pastors. We prayed out of Luke 10, Martha versus Mary. And, um, you know, again, I think we've got to remember that our goal is eternal. It's not temporary. And so if I am serving Jesus without seeking him, it's very possible that I'm just ministering in the energy of the flesh, the cleverness of human personality, just, you know, uh, maximizing the, the tools that bring results superficially without the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, our, our friend Jim Cimbala, you know, he says, man, you don't want to get to heaven. And Jesus says, what were you doing down there after all? You were doing <laughs> what I told you to do, right? Because you, the Bible is really clear. You know, our whole ministry can be defined someday in eternity as wood, hay, and stubble. We, we just did ministry. We just worked the formulas. We just tried harder. We just maximized our type A personality and all of our clever ideas. Uh, or it can be gold, silver, and precious stones. And uh, that's where he says it's not the size of ministry. It's the sort of ministry you built. And everything about the New Testament, as you know, Kevin, is about abiding so that our ministry is spiritual fruit. That's the overflow of our life of worship before God. And... Um, so, you know, that's just what we have to keep in mind. Uh, it, it's choices. It really is. And obeying the Holy Spirit and trusting in the grace of God to, to keep cultivating the heart of worship. I would add one thing, and this is a sidebar, but you'll appreciate it. I, I tell pastors all the time, one of the greatest things you can do to cultivate your personal worship is to stay in rhythms of corporate worship and prayer with other people. And um, I, I digress a little bit, but when people ask, you know, even for a pastor, what's more important, private prayer or corporate prayer? My answer is yes. It's like, well, ask which leg do you need to walk on more, your right leg or your left leg? And so for a pastor to cultivate his, his prayer life, his heart of worship, it's not a solo journey. He needs to be in regular rhythms of praying with his people as well. And of course, the whole New Testament is not a, as much about private prayers. It is about corporate prayer, praying together. All the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer, plural, and we can go on and on. So it's not just, you know, I got to gut it out to have a personal war life of worship and prayer, but it's I've got to enjoy the rhythms of personal and corporate and the encouragement of the body of Christ that even a pastor needs on a regular basis. Hey, which, hey, yeah, there's a... You've done some great teaching on the, the well, I've, I've sat under your teaching on the, the Lord's Prayer and the, the corporate nature of that and, and going into the you know, your closet and I'll let people look that up if they, uh, <laughs> they want to. Uh, it may surprise them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was thinking about that before our uh, conversation and how uh, there is in the Lord's Prayer that idea of, you know, give us this day our daily bread and uh, but it's also saying there, uh, you know, forgive us our trespasses. So there's right. kind of a daily uh, heart check really built, in, built in there, uh, which makes this whole glorious finish really a daily, like you said, a daily challenge there because uh, 
at least for me, I, I know that I, you know, I <laughs> prone to wander as the whole, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, there's just that daily, you know, nature to that. Um, which I don't know if there was really a question there other than, <laughs> than the, the, the uh, any advice on keeping that heart sensitive, I guess maybe would be with that. Yeah. Well, you know, we are talking about this in our coach, one of our coaching groups today that uh, I had a, a friend who burned out in ministry and he had to go on a forced sabbatical, you know, nothing disqualifying. He was just, he was just out of gas. And after a sabbatical, I asked him, what was your big takeaway? He says, it's something one of my, my mentors told me. He said, the issue here is not balance, but rhythms. And balance is our reaction to trying to spin too many plates. Whereas rhythms is our intention to spin fewer plates. And, and it is the idea of, of, of proactively setting into place those patterns of life that are going to cultivate spiritual depth and reality. So obviously daily rhythms, um, obviously, you know, uh, weekly rhythms, and we've already talked about that of, of worship and prayer and corporate life with your people. Um, then, you know, there are periodic rhythms. And for me, I, one of my big survival tactics over the years has been a couple of personal, at least two personal retreats a year where you go away and you reset those disciplines, you know, you, you get away for three days and two nights and, and you practice, you know, the disciplines of solitude and silence and fasting and prayer and reading and rest and, you know, meditation. You just reset your heart. Um, and then, of course, even, you know, you got rhythms of Sabbath on a weekly basis as well. But then, you know, rhythms of a sabbatical, you know, and and I'm no model there. I just took my first three month sabbatical after 38 years of ministry. So don't, <laughs> so don't do as I do. Right. Uh, I do think what kept me in it without a sabbatical was, as I said earlier, these rhythms of praying with my people. And in, as you may know, we would do multiple prayer summits a year. We'd go away corporately for two or three days and just seek the Lord. So, it, it, you know, you've just got to figure out how those rhythms are going to work, you know, daily, uh, weekly, you know, periodically, annually, you know, um, every seven years or whatever, because I just think that is the key to keeping your heart right. And, you know, you don't, you don't jump tracks. You, you know, this, these two tracks in the, in the book, right. you don't all of a sudden jump tracks from say integrity to compartmentalization. You, you slide down back from integrity to lack of, you lack accountability, you lack authenticity, you lack humility because you're lacking worship. And then you begin to nuance over into the wrong pathway that leads to dishonorable discharge. So you just got to keep fighting the good fight, right? It is so daily. The outer man's perishing, uh, but the inner man's being renewed day by day. Well, I got to ask, so your yearly personal retreats, uh, you said that's two days long? I do it two times a a year, uh, and I'm gone at least two nights, hopefully a full three days. Yeah. And is it the same each time do you kind of have a even a rhythm within that or is this just my curiosity but uh, do you kind of do that uh you know the same uh like a practice of scripture or something or is it different each time you go out yeah it's kind of different every time i mean what knowing i'm gonna do those um you know when you know you're going toward a destination you kind of know the roads that are going to get you there and and no, I'm going to do those just in the normal rhythm of life. There may be a, a book or two that really capture my heart. 
And I say, you know, I'm going to set those aside for my personal retreat. And they're not ministry books. You know, it's not, oh, I'm going to go put it together, ministry plan. It's just being with Jesus and letting him refresh you. I say the two key things that are always true is that I don't eat. And the first thing I do is take a nap. <laughs> spirituality just, of a nap. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're Richard Foss, you say sometimes the most spiritual thing I do is take a nap. So I take a nap and then I begin to, you know, I do a lot of journaling, reflecting, you know, assessing. Um, so, yeah, there's no no set thing to it, except that I anticipate those. And often there'll be some resources I want to make sure I take with me on those retreats. Yeah. Dang. Shifting gears, although you talked about the corporate nature, one of the things you talk about is accountability and yeah. the mirror of all areas of our lives. And there's been a lot of kind of different teachings on that whole accountability process over the years. Uh, how do you recommend the leader develop the accountability that they need in a healthy kind of way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think for years we thought of accountability more from a routine of, you know, get together with somebody and ask these seven questions or whatever, you know, and that, you know, that's helpful, but you can lie. I mean, if you're not, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and the more you fudge, the more, the better your lies get, you know? And so, um, you know, that can be a helpful tool, and that's a form, but I think the reality is more relational than it is routine. And um, I put in the book, and I actually borrowed this from another source, but I elaborated on it. They talk about the four dimensions of relationship that make for real accountability. And one is your relationship with a mentor, uh, someone that you are in vital relationship with who's pouring into you on a regular basis. Problem when you get my age, most of your mentors are dead or they're, you know, in the nursing <laughs> home. So it's a little, a little harder, uh, but one of my main mentors is my older brother, about 10 years older than me, and he's been a pastor for over 50 years. So that's a, still a blessing to me. And then he talks about colleagues, you know, that you're in ministry with. There's a certain kind of accountability when you have vital relationship with them. And then he talks about confidants. And it makes a really, and we talk about this in the book, an observation that you should never have your colleague as a confidant because you put them in an untenable position that if there's something you're sharing that it's not disqualifying, but it's troublesome. Now they have a dual loyalty, right? To the church and to you, and usually you're going to lose. So uh, <laughs> you, you typically need a confidant outside of your normal ministry world. Someone you can just be really totally honest with uh, about anything. But then the one that struck me was your disciples or your mentees that you might call them. And these are younger, you know, uh, people you're investing in. And I look back on my life and I realized that for almost 20 years, every year I would hand select a group of, you know, 10 to 15 young guys. And we would meet every Saturday morning at six o'clock and we would read the five books that had most influenced me. We'd memorize scripture. I'd pour my heart out to them. We'd pray. And I look back now and I realize, you know, that was probably my greatest accountability. Yeah, I had a mentor. Yep. I had colleagues, sure. And, and uh, would have a confident or two along the road. But it was those younger men I was pouring my life into that really, you know, when I was, you know, thinking in my mind about something that might take me off the rails, I thought, no, I got to show up and look at these 15 young guys in the face next Saturday. So I think real accountability is choosing again to put into place relationships, authentic relationships in a number of dimensions that whether you ask seven questions or not, they're, they're real and they're balanced. And I think that's, 
really the key to accountability. And, and you know, I, I say in the book, the opposite of that is an attitude of entitlement, you know, and, and, and thinking I expect more than someone else, you know, and, and because of this, I, I ought to get certain kudos and certain pats on the back, et cetera. And that's really just the t- polar opposite of a really an accountable life that just wants to stay humble and real. So uh, accountability is huge. It really is. And again, that always drops off the radar somewhere along the line when a leader does something that's publicly scandalous. I mean, from your experience, has that kind of been uh, at some point they kind of walked away from accountability or they never were in oh, it yeah. to start with? Well, yeah, I don't know. You know, again, I, I, I haven't been close to them that early in the process, you know, in the situations where I was a cleanup guy, but the, the urban legends would say, yeah, they, they just, they didn't welcome accountability. You know, they, they isolated themselves. Um, there was not a sense of humility and, you know, you don't produce humility. Uh, you know, one of my mentors always used to say that humility, the key to humility is a high view of God, which again comes down to worship. So if that leader's not actively, you know, pursuing the Lord, both personally and corporately, that's why it's so important for pastors to lead their churches in prayer because it keeps their own heart humble, you know, then they're just, they're not going to seek accountability. And, you know, over time you find that it's all about numbers and it's all about production and the professionalism of ministry. And pretty soon they demand the best parking place and the, you know, the nicest car and the best office. And they think they deserve this, that, and the other and uh, they just fall into a trap where they have to start compartmentalizing aspects of their life. And, um, you know, that's, that's an unhappy way to do ministry because it's not ministry. And they eventually crash and burn. Hey, when, you, when you speak about humility, that's, that's, if you, the more you encounter the, the real God, it's not hard to be humble. <laughs> that's <laughs> I mean, right. Exactly. You, you, uh, that's you, true. You, you see how small you, you really are. Uh, you uh, you talk, use the term dishonorable discharge, and I, I like that terminology. Uh, and I just, I just want your opinion on, you kind of reference this in the book. Uh, and, uh, but what in those cases, just for my, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot. How do you see that path? Someone who's gone and they hit the dishonorable discharge, you, you kind of speak there needs to be some time away. Is there, do you see any path back to ministry or do you kind of, is it, once you hit a certain point, there's, I mean, cause you've been on the other side of, you know, churches that have had to clean up the mess and mm-hmm. uh, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, you know, um, several observations are quickly. One, I think real restoration needs to occur within the context of the same local church where, where the, the tragedy occurred. And I think it's ultimately a local church decision. They, you know, you can't superimpose some process over all the churches of the world. They're going to have to make this decision on their own. What I think is so sad is when a, a guy disqualifies himself, instead of staying there and going through the long but healthy process of restoration, within the context of the, the eldership there or whatever, they skip town and they go start somewhere else. Uh, and, you know, you know, when you step out of bounds in football, you got to go back to where you stepped out and, and start over. And they decide they're going to skip 10 yards down the road and just act like nothing happened. And that's, you know, that's not good for their own soul. It's not good for the kingdom. And usually it's a recipe for more disaster. So um, I would just say, you know, it depends how serious the, the um, violation was. 
um, and how long that lifestyle had been coddled and, and nurtured. Um, depends on what a leader is. You know, if a leader is just someone who has skills and ability to whip the crowd up and grow the church, well, fine, put them back in. But if a leader is a, a model of virtue, then it's going to take time for that to be restored and rebuilt. Yes, they're restored to the Lord. Praise God, we hope they're restored to their marriage. Yes, they can do ministry, but to restore to, to the position of pastor, uh, that, that should be a serious and cautious journey. And so I think that should take time. There should be a real sense of accountability uh, and health, et cetera. And my, my take, you know, there's no formula, but I'd say, you know, years down the road, not months, years down the road, and maybe eventually in a new location, but with the blessing and relationship of the original location involved, you know. Um, so uh, that's, and I tell some pretty juicy stories around that in the book, which they'll just have to get the book to read that. That's that, right. But, yeah. The <laughs> nitty gritty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. A couple more questions. And these are not necessarily uh, book related, although they are uh, in some sense. But one of my favorite quotes uh, that you use. Uh, and I've heard you in different contexts. Uh, the only enduring motive for prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. Uh, can, can you speak to that nature of seeking God as just who he is? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I repeat in this book, and I have in other books, because uh, the book, this book starts with reasons and motivations, right? Why am I even in ministry to start with? And I think we all got to step back and realize that. And I think the more we, we set in our heart, I am in this ministry for the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. And so the beautiful thing now is, um, <laughs> I digress. My, my favorite movie is Nacho Libre. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. But <laughs> yeah, he says to Stephen, in the, this guy wrestles down to become his tag team partner in the, in the alley, you know, who's stealing the Lord's cheeps. He says, uh, uh, Stephen, you know, aren't you tired of getting dirt kicked in your face? Don't you want a taste of the glory? See what it tastes like, right? And, uh, you know, my favorite verse on prayer is we all behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That's what prayer is. It's not, as we know, it's not just seeking God's hand for your next fix or, you know, some self-styled uh, provision, but it, it's seeking God's face for who he is. And in ministry, we can have a lot of wrong motives. We have a lot of wrong motives in prayer, you know, prayer to look spiritual, prayer to be a good pastor, prayer to make revival come, you know, prayer to grow the church. And, you know, I tell the story for years, I prayed with the men in my church on Monday mornings. And one morning I said, Lord, it is hard. Why am I doing this? You know, these guys have bad breath, you know, Charlie hijacks the prayer meeting every week. And the Lord really just put on my heart, well, your motives are rooted in things that change. And the only thing that never changes is that God is worthy to be sought. And, uh, you know, you know, Kevin, we get to heaven, we won't be praying for missionaries or slip discs. We, we will be saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. And that's where Jesus told us to start our prayers, obviously. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so, you know, if, if we can get that in our soul, God is worthy to be sought, whether I feel like praying or not, whether I get the results I thought I would get or not, uh, whether 10 people come or 100 people come, God's worthy to be sought. Whether I'm sick or healthy, it's raining or snowing or sunny or whatever, God is worthy to be sought. And that that's changed my life. And it's helped me to hopefully be an agent of encouragement to a lot of other people. Hey, amen. That's, uh, <laughs> I, I do want to ask one uh, uh, kind of as so someone who's not a pastor who, who's, who's reading this and what it, they're hoping uh, 
to not have their pastor go through this. <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> they, don't want, they don't want him to be disqualified. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I can guess your answer having known, known you, but uh, what, 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 what do you recommend uh, to, you know, having read, they read the book. Uh, what's the, one of the best ways that they can, or some of the best ways they can actually help their pastors uh, yep. on the other side? Well, you know, Spurgeon said, I know of no greater grace than for my people to pray for me. I would say if you are not a pastor, you get this book and let it become a guide to how to pray for your pastors, because it's a very inside look at ministry, you know, and the choices they have to make, the struggles they deal with. And I would say, you know, I got this the little chart in the back of the book, you know, take this and use this as a prayer guide. Lord, help my pastor today to worship you, keep them humble, help them be authentic and accountable, guard their integrity, give them joyful hope, help them have a glorious finish. You know, I mean, wow, I, every pastor would love to be prayed for that way. Um, secondly, this is totally self-serving, but buy the book and give it to them, right? And say, <laughs> hey, pastor, I hope this is be an encouragement to you. Uh, and then ask them a month or two later, did you read it yet? Did you read it yet? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and, and then in addition to that, this would be on our website, but uh, we actually are starting uh, some coaching groups just around this book for church leaders in April. And maybe encourage them to jump into that and, and connect with other pastors who are just going to be real and raw and say, hey, this is a battle. We're going to fight it together. We're going to embrace these principles. We're, we're, we're going to set our sights on the eternal glory of Jesus Christ and make decisions accordingly. So that would be another option as well. But obviously, the easiest thing, most important thing is pray. Uh, we have, uh, you and I have challenged a, per, a person or two over the day to pray for their pastor. So <laughs> Yeah, thank you for that ministry, my brother. Keep it uh, up. Yeah, I, as we as we kind of wrap up today, uh, anything else that you would uh, people can learn about strategic uh, renewal? Your ministry at strategicrenewal.com. dot uh, The book will be there. I'm sure it's on Amazon and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, digital, whatever. Yeah. Uh, any any other final ask of the audience before? We yeah, wrap up? yeah. Well, pray for us, right? <laughs> Uh, we we would certainly need your prayer. And as you know, Kevin, being on the kind of the tip of the spear in prayer ministry, the devil hates that. He hates praying church. He hates praying people. He hates people who are trying to creep and motivate praying people. So certainly pray for us and that we'll live up to the truths of the book we just talked about. Um, you know, secondly, every Monday we send out a, a Monday motivator at the bottom of our, our um, page. They can see how to get that. It's just a free way to minister to them. And then for anybody, whether you're a pastor or whether you're uh, a, a non-pastor, we have a variety of coaching experiences. And we were doing Zoom five years ago before people knew what Zoom was, you know, but uh, uh, we've had the, co the privilege of coaching hundreds and hundreds of people in, in worship-based prayer, uh, for pastors, for prayer culture, for people in terms of their walk in the Holy Spirit, whatever it might be. So we would love for them to check that out and join us sometime. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. Very kind. Boy, wonderful. Again, it's strategicrenewal.com. The book is uh, Glorious Finish, Keeping Your Eye on the Prize of Eternity in a Time of Pastor Failing. Uh, Daniel Henderson, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Kevin. God bless you, my brother. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You can find the show notes at ChristConnection.cc and just click on the podcast. Again, that's ChristConnection.cc and click on the podcast uh, button there. Uh, while you're there, why don't you put in your name and your email address and we'll send you a, a three-part video series on how to have an enjoyable prayer life along with a weekly email uh, telling you what the latest podcast episode is about and uh, kind of ministry updates as well. Uh, speaking of getting those podcast episodes, why 
why don't you subscribe wherever you are listening to this so you get the next one right when it comes out. Uh, and uh, if you are so willing, we'd love to have you uh, do a rating and review. I read them all and uh, would love to hear uh, what you're thinking about and what's going on. So again, uh, that rating and review helps us and uh, helps us spread the word as well. I thank you for taking the time to listen today. I pray that God blesses you and keeps you and may his face shine upon you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.